Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... Support for the Children's Book Podcast comes from the Little Feminist Book Club. Little Feminist wants to help you diversify your child's bookshelf. Each box is built around one to two books of the month that feature strong female characters and or people of color. Their books are selected by a team of teachers, librarians, and parents. I recently received a Little Feminist Book Club box with Gabrielle Grimard's book, Lila and the Crow, which is this beautiful story that centers on a repeated incident of bullying and the strength Lila finds to overcome it. The box contained two activities that complemented the story, as well as all the supplies my kids and I needed to make them, and I loved that it was something that my three-year-old and eight-year-old and I could all do together. Go to littlefeminist.com and use the coupon code WINNER, or click on the link at matthewcwinner.com slash podcast to get started today. Support also comes from Storyteller Academy. Learn the art of storytelling from published authors, illustrators, and editors at Storyteller Academy. Sign up today at StorytellerAcademy.com. And from Viz Media. Viz is excited to announce that Pokemon Adventures, the most popular and longest-running Pokemon comic, is now available digitally. Visit viz.com slash Pokemon to read and view a free preview of the beloved All Ages series. That's viz.com slash Pokemon. Oh, hi, Matthew. I'm How are of... you? Can you hear me okay? <laughs> I can hear you great. I, quite frankly, am having yeah. a moment where I'm saying I'm, I'm talking to Tommy DePaolo. <laughs> oh, you're kidding. <laughs> I am honored. It only costs a nickel. <laughs> <laughs> I got quite a deal. Quite a deal. <laughs> With over 260 books to his name, it's almost certain you have encountered stories by today's guest at some point in your life, whether it was while you read aloud to students or to your own child or as you were learning to read yourself. This is the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 474. I'm your host, Matthew Winner. Today, I am joined by Tommy DePaola. Tommy's newest picture book is called Quiet. And it's as much about noticing the noise around us and in us as it is about finding the quiet around us and ultimately in us. Tommy wrote the book in part after noticing that children are so busy today and it's not their fault. He wants children to be able to sit and be quiet and just be. And so we find Tommy expressing himself once again, and so thoughtfully through his art and his stories, inviting readers to step into the story and find a place where quiet is protected. 
please welcome my guest, Tommy DePaola, and his newest picture book, Quiet. Welcome to the podcast, Tommy DePaola. I am so excited to talk to you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm I'm very happy to be talked to. <laughs> <laughs> I um I I got this book in the mail, another Tommy DePaola book, but a new one called Quiet. And I, yeah. I I realized that um my main experience with reading your work, Tommy, with knowing your work might be like a lot of my listeners, which is that I have known your work from libraries, both from growing up in visiting our public library and my school library to then becoming a teacher and school librarian and sharing your books with other readers. So for that, I'm grateful that in that way, you've been in my life in so many different ways. Thank you. Thank you. That really means a lot to me. (laughs) I, you know, from Strega Nona to uh, 26 Fairmont (laughs) Ave to all the, I believe the number I read was 260 Books that you've yes, had yeah, that's in? about right. Yeah, <laughs> that's incredible. Congratulations on that. Yeah, some of them are some of them are out of print. Thank God. Yeah. Oh, thank God. <laughs> well, the the ones that I think many of us. Well, I wonder what some um what what some people listening what some of their favorites are. I certainly know the ones that have been special to me, and I wonder even perhaps what's been special to you. But but first, before we get going deep into that. I'd love, if you don't mind, for us to talk about Quiet, about your new book. Oh, I'd love to, yeah. Do you, yeah. Mind, do you mind sharing in your words what what this book means to you? Well, you know, it's um, I've told, I've been talking about it a lot lately. It's just so funny to talk about a book called Quiet. <laughs> but um, it, it's, it's um, and so somebody said to me, it's so different than my other books. I thought, well, maybe it is, uh, but... Um, I think it isn't different from my other books because I'm always, I'm always thinking of children when I do my work. I'm, you know, that's one thing that I, I pledged to myself when I got my first book to, to illustrate that I would do it for children. And maybe once along the line, I did it for myself, for my fame and for my fortune. And I learned a lesson, so I didn't do that again. Um, but, um, this book, the idea for this book came to me when I was meditating in the morning. I meditate and have for a long time every morning. And I just had this flash of, um, uh, I won't go into the particulars, but I, I, I came away realizing today's children are so busy. They're just so busy. And I don't think it's they their uh, fault that they're so busy that they have no time for anything. I think they've been programmed by everything, you know, um, their devices, their their schedules, their um, keeping up with everything. Uh, even school is so structured. Um, they don't get to play outside in nature anymore. Um, they don't get to they don't get to just sit and be quiet. Just sit and look out and think and and just just be just be. And you know it's it's so interesting. Um, I saw I saw a situation where. A child is just sitting and, you know, what are you sitting still for? What's the matter? You know, um, <laughs> nothing was the matter. You know? <laughs> and I was a very active child. I, I, uh, 
I was all over the place. You know, I took tap dancing lessons. I read. I played songs. I listened to the radio. My mother let me go to the movies. I roller skated. Um, but then I'd go up in the attic, and uh, we had a finished off attic, um, and I'd just sit and look out the window for hours and hours. And I just thought, okay, I just have to say this now that I'm an old man, and I am. I just turned 84, and um, I just, if I had grandchildren, which I don't, or great-grandchildren, I don't even have children, I'm not married, I would just like to just like to take some young children for a walk and just sit sit on a bench and look out and be quiet. And so that's what I, that's what I did. And it's amazing um, the book has hit a nerve. It's doing so well. I never expected it. It has quite you know, a nerve. But I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled. Tell me, I love in this story that you don't have, despite me reading it and thinking that same thing, all of the um, the abstractions of of noise that we could be coming from, you actually take us out into nature uh, with these children and and say, look at how busy everything is. Let's go to this yeah, bench and yeah. just be quiet. And then we sort of observe nature become quiet around them. Uh, and it does. To you harmony, know, nature does. It? Yeah. Yes, it does. Yeah. I live in the country. I have, I live in a small town um, and um, my house is a little, little protected from uh, the road. Um, and my studio is right on the road, but it's a big barn. But I, I have, 15 acres of meadow and um, uh, I can just look out the window and I can see how at a certain time of the day everything quiets down even the air even the leaves do they, the, 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 the air stops and it's it's a quiet time of nature and you know maybe the only thing you might hear, hear is birds singing but but it's a different song when they're busy during the day and um you know, um, I guess I just wanted to share that th- through my book. You know, I like that idea of um, becoming in tune with that rhythm of nature, with the with the heartbeat mm. of nature. That you you're out there and you 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 accept, you welcome that there is a time that nature too is busy, but there's also a time if you're out there with it. I I can now almost picture you watching out the window finding that rhythm of nature, the sway of the trees slowing down, the birds flitting yeah, and settling yeah. and, and allowing yourself then to be settled. It actually quite makes me think there's there's times, this is 14 years into teaching when I've realized that one of the best tricks I have up my sleeve is when the kids are really wound up, when they really are having a hard time concentrating or hearing one another. If I just go to a whisper or if I right, uh, onto right, my yeah. computer, if, yep. I, if I open a note and just start typing, I don't communicate through my words uh, out of my mouth, but rather onto the screen. I find that there's there's a different kind of energy to that quiet. Um, the energy just sort of shifts, and it's it's a beautiful mm-hmm. moment because there's a closeness to quiet as well. Well, that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you read the book. <laughs> 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 I um I, I, <laughs> I, I like that in in how however few words less than 
maybe even less than 50 words that you've uh, narrowed this down to. I know. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, to just leave the reader with, to be quiet and still is a special thing. The way that you've, I mean, you talked about meditating, the way that you've, the way that you've protected that space. Yeah, it's nice. Oh, thanks. Thanks. I'm it's... so glad it came across. You know, we never know. You know, we do our work and we just hope. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I love that in 260 plus books that there's still a not knowing. There's a feeling that oh, that oh there's there a, sure is. the right yeah. story for the yeah. child, but there's a, a not knowing. Have you ever had a time in your in your 50 years of 50 plus years of making books that you perhaps worried that you wouldn't have a story to tell? Or have you always had ideas? Have you always had that? I, you know, I, <laughs> I have to admit, I've always had ideas. Now, yeah. not all of them are good ideas, but I've always had ideas. And um, I, um, I only had, I think, we, you know, we call it writer's block or yeah. artist block. And I only had it recently. And it was because I had, um, you know, a health problem. And I found out that it wasn't my fault at all. It was because I was on some medication and I had had surgery. And uh, there's a thing called um, anesthesia uh, depression, hmm. which I had and didn't know it. And um, I couldn't do anything, but I'm out of it, thank goodness. Um, you know, I did this book two years ago. We're always working two years ahead. Right. And um, I uh, I did another book between Quiet and... Uh, called Wings. I did the illustrations for an, um, uh, a picture book by Cheryl Klein. It's coming out next spring from Simon & Schuster. And I, I used collage, and it was a fun job. It was fun. It's very different than doing the artwork. You know, the artwork's were quiet. I think I, you may not know this, Matthew, but I started the book. <clears throat> sorry. Started the book, and um, I got into it, and I looked at the illustrations and thought, no, wait, 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 wait. These these are wrong. These are not. They're too active. They're too fussy. They're too. They're not quiet enough. They're not. They're not. You know. They're not. They're not. They're not following the words. I mean, oh. read the words, Tommy. Read the words. <laughs> Did you read your own? So, book? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I read my own words. Isn't that a surprise? And I threw everything away and started over again. And I tried something very simple. You know, um, I, I get, I get, uh, you know, I get, I get this, I get this uh, from uh, you know, reviewers. Oh, in his usual style, and blah blah blah. And you know, the usual style. I don't know what that means. It means the way I write my name, the way I draw my my hands, the way I draw my noses, and I just draw my noses and hands and my name that way. But um, um, this, I, I really really pared things down. I didn't get show-offy. I, the color is very muted, but it's very balanced. Um, I found myself very, uh, if I can remember rightly, because it was a long time ago, but when I look at the art again, I can remember how soothing it was to do this book, you know? And I mean, it wasn't like doing a Stregonona where it's all up and at him and I have a lot of energy going, you know, having fun and even laugh out loud sometimes. But uh, and I must admit, this is something I I just take it for granted that my readers uh, 
and my viewers know that when I'm doing my books, I really get into them. I really get into the words, and then I really get into the pictures. I really get into yeah. laughing when I'm doing my stuff, or if it's funny, and I and I feel sad if it's not, or I feel honest if I'm telling my own stories about my own life. But um, and that's something that um, a vow that I made to myself a long time ago that. Um, you know, I, I read this this quote, and I can't remember. It's been quoted several times and over and over, but it's that famous quote that only the very best is good enough for children. And the, my favorite story for children is The Emperor's New Clothes. And it's the child in that story that knows that the emperor is naked. No one else will admit it, but the child says, but Daddy... The emperor is naked, and I don't want to be naked in front of the children. I want my clothing to be clothing that I put on, um, and only the best is good enough for my audience, frankly. I try my best with every book. I give it my all, and this one, I'm, I look at it again, and it's, um, you know, Two years since I did the art, and it's it. it, it I, lo- I loved looking. At, I loved the other day. I was looking through it, and I said, "Oh my gosh, look at that ladybird! Isn't that sweet?" <laughs> you know? It's kind of nice when you like your own work. And when you like your own, <laughs> I I love, and I'm I'm flipping through again. That I love that it almost appears in every page that the character's eyes are closed. To me, that's how it, it felt. That was the emotion that was conveyed. Because then when we get close to the characters and we hear them reflecting on the quiet, we see their eyes. and Yes, yeah, yeah. And, they're, and it, their pupils and everything. Yeah. That intimacy, right, of the color of their eyes and um, and the closeness there. I, I it, Between that and having the art be framed on nearly every page, but then playing oh, around with you. it because the yeah. things, the trees and the birds go out of the frame as if they're coming out of yeah. the, the book itself. I love that design. Oh, thanks. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. I also, if we're talking about your <laughs> the clothing that you put on, quite frankly, I love that um, your author photo um, matched the, the color palette of the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Th- th- thanks to the art director Laurent Lynn, who took the you know oh, took the Laurent, photo. You know? <laughs> I don't think he photoshopped it. He may have. I think he changed the color of the glasses. I think I think the glasses I was wearing were tan <laughs> instead of red. But I do have a pair of red glasses. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, I you know I want to step us away from this. Uh, sure. And and bring sure. us to those children because I. The fact that over these years you continue to feel it in your heart to tell the story to them, but also that that you owe them that honesty, that bringing your best. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, that's I, very important. Wow. I, I wonder how long that that feeling. It's a feeling that I feel compelled me to become a teacher. But I, I wonder for you when in your life uh, you identified that feeling in you. Uh, the, the feeling of what? Of, that, of what, being... What, exactly of what being, feeling? <laughs> the feeling of being... I've had, had a lot of feelings in my life, right? <laughs> yeah. the, the feeling of being compelled to work for children or to work... Oh, to I, tell, you know, I... Yeah. yeah, sure. I announced to the world that I was going to be an artist and I was going to write stories and draw pictures for books 
when I was four years old. Wow. And I meant and I meant books for children because that was the only books I knew. That was what you knew, yeah. Because my mother read aloud to me. And I loved looking at the pictures. We didn't have as many pictures. You know, I grew up at a time when there were, the picture book wasn't as available and uh, there weren't so many picture books right. as there are now. Um, my mother read to me through from a series of books called The Children's Hour, published by Houghton Mifflin, Riverside Press, and they were collections of stories. And they had tipped-in illustrations, you know, beautiful full-page illustrations by a variety of artists. And um, not every story had a picture. but So that was really great because I could imagine the pictures of those stories and in my head. And then sometimes I would try to draw them. And, you know, of course, I drew them quite well, if I might add. <laughs> um, my mother told me years, 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 years after I was a child, she said, you know, you never drew strict figures. And I said, what? She said, no, you never drew stick figures like your brother, your older brother. You drew p- things the way they looked. You drew uh, arms with hands at the end of them and clothing and people with shoes on. And um, the only thing you had trouble with, you asked me, how do you draw a nose? And I showed you how I would draw a nose. And that's the way you drew noses until you discovered the, a way you liked better, you know. And so it's interesting, isn't it? Um, um, yeah. And we, my mother was a housewife. My father was a barber. We were in, and we lived in Meriden, Connecticut, in a in a rented house until they built Twenty Six Fairmont Avenue, and um, that's when I was five. And um, but I knew what I wanted to be. And the interesting thing, and probably the most important thing, is they and my grandparents, my Irish grandparents. And some of my relatives, my my uncle, uh, my Irish uncle especially, heard me and believed me. They 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 encouraged it. They they gave me stuff to. They gave me materials to use. They never told me I should be. Oh no no be a be a plumber be a be a butcher like your grandfather be a barber like your father, um, be a be a you know be a lawyer like my teacher told me <laughs> because they argued with her. <laughs> Yeah, my first grade teacher said, "I think you should be a lawyer, Tommy." <laughs> mm. And I didn't know what that was, but um, but um, but I knew that if I was going to do this, and you know, and throughout when I finally was grown up and made the choice in my head that what I really wanted, how I really wanted to make my living and live my life, not only as an artist, but as an artist who's put some of his work to the to the benefit of children. Um, that I, I owed children something. I think we all, as grown-ups, as adults, owe children a great deal. Um, I think, and we don't owe them pain and suffering. We owe no. them love and joy and happiness and and challenging the challenge in life and uh, and security and security. My goodness, these days especially. Yeah. Lord Almighty. I feel like for how much they so willingly give to us the least we can do is offer our best to them right exactly absolutely what children offer to us is you know they they make us remember how we used to look at the world yes you know fresh and innocent and um and we know as grown-ups we know the world isn't fresh and innocent but there is a freshness and innocence still there and um you know, and children, you know, you know, you know, 
childhood is a precious, precious time, you know, and we try to take it away. You know, I just hate, I hate when I see little girls dressing like 20 year olds, you know, or 15 year olds. Mm. I just, I just, I just, uh, and, you know, and little boys dressing like thugs, you know, instead of looking like little boys, you know, um, I guess I'm old fashioned, but uh, I see it. I see it every once in a while. I was just in New York for a weekend, and I saw some wonderful children. I saw really wonderful children there, and it was nice. It was, I thought, oh, good, they're still around. <laughs> well, I think the adults' responsibility, all of our responsibility, to preserve a safe place for the children to absolutely maintain their childhood. Absolutely. I hear that in what you're saying too. Yeah. Even in their fantasies, even mm. in their fantasies, yeah. To make it so, okay. You know, I used to fantasize. I used to fantasize a lot when I was a kid. I used to make make up stories where I'd be walking to school and I'd, yeah. I'd be, I'd be, you know, I'd be a, a hero from a storybook, or or I'd be um, Johnny Tremaine, you know, going to off the <laughs> Revolutionary War when I was in junior high school. <laughs> you know, I was a great fantasizer. Um, I often used to play, you know, replay movies up in our attic with costumes and everything. Yes. It sounds, yeah. <laughs> it sounds as though story is, is so significant in your life. And I hear not only making up stories, but I know from your work that it's also been important to share folk tales, to share those stories that have been passed oh, yeah. down generation yeah, yeah. after generation. Has that, was that also something that, that your parents were reading to you, these, these passed down stories? My mother was reading um, stories out of books, literature to me, yeah. and my Irish grandfather told me told stories. Them. Yes, he was a he put me on his knee. First of all, he put me on his knee and he'd read the funny the Sunday funny papers yeah. to me. <laughs> oh yeah, with voices and everything. And he was a, he was a wonderful man. He was bald and he had big ears like I have now. And he, <laughs> in fact, I'm looking like him a little bit. <laughs> Isn't and that the he, way uh, of life? Yeah, yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, but he would then tell me stories. He had, they had a big furnace, and I, I write about this in Tom. Yeah. My book, Tom. Yeah. We'd go down to the basement, and he, he, you know, he had to shake the ashes in the in the old coal furnace, and he'd sit and that was the only place my grandmother would let him smoke his pipe, and I was his name. I was named after him, and so he'd just tell me stories and. And, you know, some of them, of course, were really made up, but I realized, you know, but they were great stories. They were great Irish stories and great, you know, just made up stories and, and true stories. You tell me about old things. You tell me about uh, when he was a little boy. And, um, you know, and um, uh, so, you know, I grew up with storytelling as part of my life. Yeah. So at some point in your storytelling and your professional storytelling to children, um, you are telling these stories from all over the world, from all over different cultures and from different points of history and from different traditions. Um, and I wonder what for you the, uh, the, the research was like, the learning was like for that. And also because you're seeing these different children, the, what the responsibility was like for you to make sure that you that you got their stories right, that you respected where they came from, because that is something that I take away from your books, that it feels like there's a reverence to the way you approach folk tales to these traditional stories. Oh, oh well, there is, because folk tales, 
folk tales. Um, people say, oh, did you like fairy tales? I said, no, I didn't. I really didn't care much for fairy tales as much as folk tales because, you know, oh, yeah, okay, then she's got a fairy godmother. Well, yeah, everything's going to be fine. Uh, but, you know, uh, folk tales, you know, there's always a, um, and I don't mean this in a pedantic way, but um, you always learn something from a folk tale. You know, you learn how not to be foolish or you learn, you know, how to how to win the race or you learn how to um, be happy or you could, you learn how to laugh you know, from folk tale. You learn how how silly we can all be. Mm. You know, um, people say, who is Big Anthony in Strigan? And I said, well, he's all of us. Yeah. We're all big Anthony because I don't know anybody that doesn't sometimes doesn't pay attention and get it wrong. You know? <laughs> uh, but but um, also I grew up with a family. Um, I, I really mean this. I I didn't realize until I went off to well, not so much in high school in my days. You know, in the early early late forties, early fifties, things were very different. Things were kinder. Mm. Um, I was bullied in grammar school, but never in junior high school or high school. And I suppose today, if I was the child, uh, the, you know, the young man I was in high school, I'd be bullied a lot because uh, I didn't play sports. I, I tap danced. I was in all the plays. I, um, I was, uh, I suppose you could call me a bit of a sissy, uh, but, um, but I was never bullied in junior high school or high school. Um, I was always looked up to because I could sing and dance and, and um, uh, it wasn't it wasn't awful to be smart. Yeah. Um, I had friends who were poor, who and I'd go to their house and they'd come to my house. And uh, when I was in elementary school, uh, my mother made it clear to me that everybody got invited to my birthday party, and you know I couldn't pick out just a few people, um, but everybody got invited to my birthday party, and um, um, mm. and you know and. Um, my grandfather, you know, I, I learned about different races, different religions, uh, um, people of color, um, and it was just—it was just natural for me. It was totally natural for me. There I was, an Irish Catholic kid in high school, and my best friends were all Jewish, mm, yeah. and um, and it was wonderful. You know, we celebrated holidays together. They came to my house for Christmas. I went to their house for Hanukkah. You know, is uh, and. Um, but then when I went off to art school, you know, I was thrilled. There were two two African American guys from from the South in in the room next to me, and in, in our awful dormitory, which was a leftover army barracks. And kid, you know, some of the young men down the hall were, you know, calling them names. You know, mm-hmm. don't go in the shower with so and so. I couldn't believe it. I did not believe it. And then you know, when I was in college, I began to. Fit, Experience prejudice, and I guess I also I saw um, I saw a movie. What's the, what's the name of the movie? I can't even remember. Oh, it's Gregory Peck about um, he uh, he pretends he's Jewish. Um, anyway, it's about prejudice, and I swore to myself, you know, I would not, I consciously not be prejudiced. That I would find out about different cultures. I love different cultures. I love finding out. I you know. I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful to grown up be grown up as a little Chinese boy? Wouldn't it be wonderful to be, to be a, you know a, um, 
grow up in Paris, you know. <laughs> yeah. But wasn't it, wasn't it wonderful to grow up in Connecticut, you know? Um, I just I just had this wonderful group of parents, and and you know, and I think the Second World War had something to do with it, because you know, there was no room for being prejudiced during that time. You know, I mean, it came from my parents and my family. You know, I think it was because my father was an Italian son of it. He was a son of Italian immigrants, and there was a lot of prejudice on his. Uh, you know, against him on his part when he was growing up, and that subtly he 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 didn't want us to to face it, but he also didn't want us to you know to do it yeah. uh, against other people. So you know, I think I think you know, there's that song that Rogers and Hammerstein wrote for for uh, South Pacific South Pacific. You know, you've got to be taught. Mm-hmm. You know, children do not grow up with hatred or prejudice. Um, they, children grow, do not grow up with fear of another, of the other, of uh, each other. You know, it's something they're taught. And that's why um, I think right, right at the moment we really have to work at it with kids. I think we really, we really have to tell them how safe all those people who are coming across the border are. Not, they're not criminals. They're not, they're not naughty. They're not, you know going to take something away from us. They're going to add to our lives if we let them. I love it. When I was a kid in Meriden, Connecticut, believe it or not, we, we had three, uh, because there was a large Italian population, we had three wonderful pizza restaurants. Now, uh, everybody went to the pizza restaurants, and we were very lucky. Suddenly, I, when I went off Pratt, people were like, oh, my God, there's a pizza restaurant down the block from... And these kids from other places had never encountered pizza. This is 1952, <laughs> believe it or not. Now, pizza has become, in fact, I, I long for a real Italian pizza. It's ubiquitous you know? now, yeah. <laughs> it's... Yeah, yeah. Pizza with chicken and, and, and pineapple? I don't think so. <laughs> well, but you also have, in, but, in that beautiful thing that you're saying, you've got you've got other people from other places expressing themselves through food and taking this thing that we thought we knew and saying, but here's my culture on this food. Here's my way of expressing myself through pizza right. or through whatever. It's such right. an amazing thing going on. Just just think of what we're so lucky in this in, in this country, really. Just think of all the all the options we have. I mean, isn't it amazing how um, uh, Southeast Asian food has come, you know, with such a roar into the, into uh, our our culture. You know, the the noodle dishes, you know, you know ramen noodles. <laughs> you know, what would college students do without them? You know, <laughs> but, I... but and. And children, you know, I just, I just love it. I just love it that there, that this is happening. I just wish it would go even further. Um, but I love, I just love finding a cult, a story that introduces a new culture to me, and then pass it on to children. So I have a question here, but first I just want to say that. Tommy, you seem like such a wonder. The way that you grow up, you grow up in what feels like the right place, with the right family, with the right people in your life to to meld and mold you to be the person that you are. And 
what a gift that you would in then oh my God, use yes. that yes, to yes, serve yes, yes, yes. children. So I wonder if you don't mind me asking this so forwardly, in the time that you have been a part of children's literature, that you have contributed, that you've been a voice in children's literature, what has the experience been like to see to see representation change, to see concerns about how children see themselves what 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 has it been like from your vantage point over over these years that you've been making books oh gosh oh gosh oh gosh oh gosh um i i think that i, I don't let's see i i i have a hard time being negative i'm not a negative person and i i always think that if i see something maybe i can help make it better hmm. um but I, I think what, one of the positive things, I think, is that I think that young people, um, uh, I'm amazed at the way young people, younger people than me, I have a young intern, uh, uh, an art student from the local, uh, we have a small college in our town, and, I have a, and she's an intern, and she's uh, maybe 19, 20. And I'm amazed at the way she can make my computer do things that I couldn't even think about it making do. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm 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 in awe of that whole thing. Um, but at the same time, I still know that I have something to give, you know, to young children especially. Um, with I try to give them beautiful art. I try to give them good stories to hear or to read or to have someone read to them. And um, as long as I'm around, I, I hope I have a few more years left, um, I'll continue to do that. And I do think that, um, I do think that the most, most admirable people in our country and in our society are the t- school teachers and the librarians that deal with the young children. Mm. I really do. I, I've said this for, forever, that people who, who teach or or, or work with young children should be the highest paid people in our society um because they have the they have the most they're they're they've got our resource our future resource at their hands because you know i know how important teachers were to me when i was growing up i was very lucky i had a wonderful teacher every other year (laughs) nice that is very lucky and yeah yeah, especially when we we, we do talk about you hope for two Two teachers is what they say in, 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 at least when I went to, um, undergrad to, for my elementary education degree, that, that most students have two years of spectacular teachers in their life. Really? Only two years? Two. Oh my gosh. Yeah. We wow. Have good teachers, I'm, 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 but, but really those ones really that lucky see then. us, that those, those, those ones that really stick for us. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. I could name them for you. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I um, thinking about your your time coming up and the the technology changing and all that but also keeping in mind that you're saying about like the people coming over our border the people coming into our country that want to make a life here the people that have been victims of crimes of hatred of of yep. awful awful things in the space where you are now that vantage point that you've i, I suppose always had in children's literature how do you feel like the state of the union of children's books is going? Do you feel like we're in a, we're getting, are we, are we on the right track in children's literature? Oh yeah. I think, Good. I think we're very much on the right track. Yeah. It feels like um, it from my end at, too. 
Yeah. Yeah. You look at picture books now, and and you know, and and it's wonderful. You see children of color. You see children, who, you know, uh, and not not um, in some stereotypical romantic way, which I might have gotten. Um, but you know, I must say that some of those stories that have been you know get thrown out now, and I'm not saying they should be shouldn't be thrown out or or ignored. Um, um, it was a different time oh, yeah. when I, you know. Uh, and um, you know this whole. Um, I think that I think that instead of looking back, I think that those of us who create children's literature have to look forward. Always. And I think, and I think that right at the moment we are in a in a bit of flux, and I think that we're going to see it get better and better. And I don't think I think that the one thing we all I think that what people who create children's literature are the people who work with it like you do, we just have to be very cautious that we don't go overboard and we don't, um, we don't throw out, um, valuable stuff, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because, um, I don't know how to explain it any more, uh, any better, um, uh, that we don't just, uh, how can I say it? What I feel on I that, think we're on the right track. I good. think we're on the right track. I, I think we're on the right track. I've been in I'm, I'm getting, I just think one thing we have to be careful about, and this has nothing to do with culture, culture it has to do with technology. I see, and I'm very worried about this, and I'm, I'll, I'll be very honest about it. I'm a little concerned that so many of the young illustrators that I'm seeing, whose work I'm seeing, their work looks terribly alike. I'm not seeing work that stands out as done by an individual. I'm seeing too much, too much influence from other stuff, like uh, other images. Um, I see too many big eyes. I see too many uh, skinny limbs, limbs that couldn't climb a tree or walk a mile. <laughs> um, I think I think young artists. I, I spoke at an art school yesterday. And I think too many artists, young artists, are repl- are relying on the computer. They're not learning how to draw, really. Um, Philip Pullman, in, in an essay, said uh, he likes to see his words on paper and not on the screen because when he works on paper and he makes a mistake, he crosses it out, and he still can see it. It's still there. Yes. His mistake is still there for him to see. When he miss, makes a mistake on the computer, he deletes it, and he never has to look at it again. It's something about living I with our that, mistakes, isn't it? Being in well, looking at our that. mistakes is, is it a bad thing? You know, right. um, I, yeah. I'll give you a very good adult example. Look at a Matisse drawing, a drawing, any, any line drawing by Henri Matisse, and as you look at it, you'll see ghosts of where he started, where he smudged off with the, with the chalk, smudged the, the image out until he got the right line, and then he did it in five seconds. Mm. But it was all those lines that he'd made before that weren't quite right, that he, moved, that he pushed away, but he left the ghost of them there so we can see them. And, um, and sometimes, you know, sometimes I like looking at mistakes. You know, there's little, I love looking where I... I you know, there's a. I've got quiet in front of me. Let's see if I can find something where I didn't fix quote a mistake, <laughs> a line that went wrong. 
Um, I'm sure there is one in here. I'm, I'm almost positive. Right? There has to be, unless my editor took it out, the art director <laughs> took it out with Photoshop, which is a dangerous thing. Um, um, yeah, I don't see one yet. I'm pretty good here. What am I talking about here? <laughs> I'm doing pretty well for an old guy. <laughs> well, I, oh, there in, must in be one. In talking about mistakes, though, I love when you look closely, at least at your lines, at your color in quiet, the way that, that there is color going outside of the lines. There is Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that, That's, that it, isn't that nice? It, feels, yes, it yeah. just feels... It feels more real. It feels more. Well, it's because there. I do my line. It's because I do my line five times. Mm. Five. I build times. it up slowly. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I only erase the very first my very first pencil. Um, gee, I did pretty good on this book. Wow, I cleaned <laughs> good, up. Good job, Tommy. I'm, I'm, I'm glad very, you got a chance to read your I'm, book. <laughs> I'm getting scared here. This is, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm. <laughs> this, you know, I do want to find something that I made a mistake in. Um, this, this idea, oh though, gosh, of, where is it? This idea of us remembering the lines that led us to the final art, the 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 things before. Oh, I us. found one. I found one. Ooh, it's on we... the page of <laughs> "Let Us Be Quiet Like All Our Friends, Quiet and Still," right towards the end of the book. And the three, the, the two children are, are sitting with the grandfather. With their, they all have their eyes closed. And you'll see a faint line of at the bottom of the grandfather's lavender scarf. There's a little line that goes above it onto his shirt. Yeah, I see it. And then next to the little boy, um, where he's sitting, I didn't ink in. There's a, a little, there's a little <laughs> gold line on the bench that I forgot to ink in. And it's there. And it's there for the don't, world to see. Don't let your editors <laughs> listen to this episode. We don't want it fixed. No, the they'll, no, yeah, they'll, they'll yeah, <laughs> I'll be fired. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love though this 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 idea in in terms of children's literature, in terms of. Um, where we're going and what things we we may be we may be getting rid of because they're not they're not appropriate anymore not forgetting though where we came from right lest we lest we repeat those things again or lest we lest we not learn right. from where we were it's important that but we can't forget our heritage either right we must remember our heritage right and you know and by and you the one thing people have to know is that Okay, I I make this book sort of alone, but I have when I write the story, my editor and I talk about it. This and and then and and it, it develops between two people, and then when I do my artwork, I talk, I it, you know my art director gives me you know I'll be stuck on a page and I'll send him. Uh, that's the wonderful thing about the computer. I can send him a sketch quickly, and he'll answer me right away. So it becomes a collaborative. It's a collaborative art. Yeah. It's not. It's not a solo art. It's a collaborative art. But you know, when you stop and think of any art, anything, anything we do is collaborative. Um, well, I was talking to you and said it's a collaborative art. I thought, oh yeah, but if I was a ballet dancer and I was on stage alone, no, that's collaborative too, because somebody would have made the steps and somebody would have taught me the steps, 
and somebody would have made sure I'm doing the steps right, and then the music would have played, and then the lighting, the lighting. So everything is collaborative. Everything we do is collaborative, and we forget that, and we forget that. You know, we get egocentric, and we can't be egocentric. We're just a tiny spot in the universe, and we need each other. You know, we need each other. And besides that, it's fun being with each other. You know, I spend time in my studio alone, and then when I'm not alone, I love to be with people. (laughs) I love to have a good time. I love talking on the telephone. (laughs) I, I can't shut up. <laughs> I was going to say, I love everything about this conversation, but I realize I'm going on and on taking up your time and realizing I could talk to you for another three hours. But well, there you go. <laughs> but I, I feel, Tommy, one, I feel grateful that I've gotten to know, I've gotten to know a different side of you through this conversation. I appreciate oh, that. Oh, thank you. Uh, thank you so much. And, and I feel like in so many ways the your readers have, have been with us this entire time. You've really kept them at the forefront of this conversation, but I, I do want to make sure that we leave with a chance for you to speak directly to them. So, Oh yeah. So yeah. let me end with yeah. this. Tommy, I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning. Is there a message that I can bring to them from you? Yes. And my message is I wish you, you children to be happy and to read a lot. (laughs) How's that? We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle... 
I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cosy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.